The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Welcome to another episode of the Story World Podcast. Excited to be here with your boy, Al. One more good time. So It's always so, a good time when Al's in the house, right? Good time when Al is in the house. Yes, yes. So tonight, we're going to be talking about um, the the elements of every great story. I, I feel like I should say, too, as we're recording this, this is going to come out probably in a couple of weeks from now. But as we're recording this, we actually uh, pushed the podcast out to all the places. Today, so the podcast as of today is a real live thing. There are three episodes out there, so obviously, if you're hearing this, you already know that it's out there. But anyway, it's um, we're we're super excited about it. We came out of the gate with three episodes, so we're gonna start telling people about it. And there's some like weird Star Trek time dilation stuff going on because of, we're talking about it now, but it's already happened, and um, which is just which just makes for a cool story. So this is the closest anyway. you'll ever become to living in the Star Trek universe. So enjoy. Uh, well, I could go to one of those comic things and dress up like you know. Um, <laughs> you haven't already. Wow. Yeah. No, I have not. I wish I would had. What was that? Oh man. Oh man. I saw such a good. I meant to send it to you. I think, and I didn't, or maybe I was going to send it to another buddy of mine. It was in the Christian Star Trek memes group on Facebook. Yes, yeah. that is a thing. And, um, it was, it was, um, uh, it, it was so good. I wish I could remember, but it had Jordy and it had, uh, commander Riker. Maybe one time while you're talking here during this episode, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying look, to find that yeah, gotcha. so I could, I could find, bring it up. Uh, it was so good. Um, but yeah, so, um, and the more I, the more I just think about this, it's, it's so funny. I didn't even intend to do this, but the Thursdays are the days when I record my podcast. And so today is a Thursday. We recorded this on a Thursday late at night. Then earlier this morning, I did my other uh, four, one, two, three, four. I recorded my other four shows. And three of them were about story. Hmm. Accidentally. I didn't plan it that way. But honestly, like they were all about story. Um, and and here we are talking about it again. And it's just, I love how we're bringing this concept together. So it's super fun. We're talking about the elements of every great story. And this one was kind of more Alex's idea. So I'm going to kind of let him take the reins and, uh, and, and, and kind of bring this out for us. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, this is an interesting one. The elements of, well, first we started out with saying every great story, but every story is different and not every story has the same elements. And then of course, um, you're talking about different elements too, whether it's fiction related or nonfiction. Um, and we can get into some of those finer details, but for example, um, some nonfiction, uh, movies or documentaries, um, sometimes they end kind of a tragedy and we're almost okay with that. Cause it's true. It's happened. It puts us in that experience, you know, to, to live it. But then with fiction, most, at least the majority of the time, um, 
we try to find that happy ending and that feel good story ending but um maybe there's obviously stuff out there that does not end happily but uh so we thought we'd come together and kind of share our personal um ideas of what makes a good story so steve do you want to bring to the table your first item yeah absolutely absolutely i i am thrilled to talk about this this is a lesson that i learned when i was listening to uh, one of my uh, marketing kind of heroes. And one of the things that he he talks about a lot is this idea of having an attractive character. And the attractive character, so if you think about your, um, these days, you know, what all the kids are doing is becoming, you know, like Instagram influencers. <laughs> yeah. And... I mean, here we are, right? Everybody's got a podcast. Everybody's got a blog. Everybody is on YouTube. And uh, when you're growing a business, again, I do marketing. And so a big part of marketing is storytelling. It's, it's why we're here. But the thing is, so many people, frankly, suck at telling <laughs> their story, right? They're, they're, yeah. Because what they, do, what they do, if they do tell their story, they make it all about them and and none of it about their potential client or customer right so it so it's well my great grandpa started the business in 1957 and they went through good times and bad and good times and bad and then eventually he passed it down to his son and who passed it down to you know me right and and so you get like these company histories that don't really have anything to do with the customer and they get bored. And so practically speaking, yep. this kind of thing is happening on, on their websites and stuff. And, and so, uh, one of the, one of the best ways to get a business, especially, uh, especially online entrepreneurs, like the kind that I typically work with people who are really in the education, like through courses and membership in that space, uh, particularly them, but it does encompass other kinds of businesses as well is you typically want to build like a content platform in order to get out, to get out there, to get to get your name out there, and, and in fact, we're we're even having some talks about this now. In a sense, this podcast is sort of a little bit of that for you because you are uh, an author, and you know, I mean, I think it's no secret at this point you're 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 pretty unknown as a as a fiction writer. Right? You're trying to get your name out there. My friends and know who I am. Your friends and family know who you are, and we love you, Alex. We do. Um, All that matters. Right. But, but so as you, as you, as you begin to pump data into the universe and content into the universe, um, there's, there's this concept that, uh, of the, of the attractive character. Now, the attractive character is not necessarily somebody who is, you know, different than you. What, what you're not doing is, is and I mean now sometimes you have Instagram and like TikTok influencers and stuff who do this kind of thing on purpose. But I'm talking about when you're trying to be legit and genuine with your audience, your attractive character is not is not some fake persona that you are making up. Rather, picture it like being able to zoom out almost like a like like what you might think of with an out of body experience. Think about trying to look at yourself in the third person 
And rather than getting lost inside of your own head, you're trying to very carefully articulate um, how you're showing up as you build your as you build your platform. So you are intentionally um, making note and 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 acting upon your your natural personality and maybe exaggerating things here or there um, or just just thinking again intentionally about it in order to create a point. Okay, so what is the point, Steve? Get where you're going. Well, well, so here's where I'm going. And that is that an attractive character, in order to be attractive, has to be interesting. And most people, rightly so, don't think of themselves as interesting. Um, like, it's hard for us. I mean, of course, you have, you know, self-absorbed people and narcissists who are pretty okay with, you know, being. But I'm not <laughs> talking about that, right? I'm talking about most people have a really hard time objectively seeing themselves as an interesting person. So if you can sort of put down on paper some qualities and some attributes about, about you, especially as it relates to, you know, in my, in my area, the product or service that you're selling and that even relates to you. Cause even if you're a fiction writer, you're in the business of trying to sell your books and your stories. And so you can think of this the same way. There are qualities that you want to bring out and there are, four or five of these that, that you could name off, but one of them is, um, is showing your flaws. And um, so I, 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 so I first heard this concept to go back to the beginning here uh, when uh, Russell Brunson, one of my big heroes in marketing, he was, he was talking on stage and he was speaking about this concept of the attractive character. And he told the story of uh, Stan Lee and the success of the Marvel universe, and especially, I mean, obviously now we know it's really successful, but back in the, in, in the day when they first started, they were really revolutionary. And what made them so revolutionary is that their heroes were relatable. Okay, so my first, my first thing that I think makes a, makes a great story is when there is a relatable hero. Um, and you know, again, uh, at the risk of going all night here, I mean, I'll just mention, uh, you know, one that everybody will identify from the Marvel example, and that is Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man is interesting because he's not on some pedestal, right? He's not. He he. he what he is is basically a frightened teenage dude, like we have been in the past, who by night is some ultra, you know, buff and rough and tough superhero. But then it's like the minute he takes the mask off, he becomes superhuman again. Um, right. Like he's, so he's a very relatable character because he has character flaws. It's, it's very hard for us to look at somebody who is perfect and identify with them. I mean, uh, one more example from the DC universe would be, Superman, right? Superman wouldn't be very interesting without kryptonite because then he could never be defeated, right? He has to have a character flaw. That's actually why I really appreciated the storytelling of Smallville um, because I, I think that brought a different dynamic to the Superman character than maybe what you're really, than what you're typically used to uh, seeing because it, it makes you really see and peer into the regular ordinary life of this Superman being. And it, it makes him, 
yeah, it makes him more relatable. So that is my first one. That's my one of my favorite things that I think is, is a quality of a great story, and that is relatable heroes. Um, that actually uh, flows really well to my first point, which is um, realistic, and I also put believable characters. Um, the reason why I think I put believable is because even though you might find some some way to relate to a character they also might have other qualities that are quite unbelievable about them obviously this is a stretch because uh superheroes and comics are meant to be superheroes they're supposed to be a little outrageous and obviously over the top and and all of that but that's probably i think that is one reason why i never got into really comic books too much or watching comic book uh cartoons is because um excuse me i that obviously as a kid i didn't i couldn't put it into words like this but i just don't think i felt relatable to any of that at all even uh growing up i mean yeah i did find some enjoyment from watching i enjoyed iron man uh when that first came out and then following some of the early uh movies in the marvel cinematic universe but the ones that i actually did enjoy the most were the superheroes that did not have original or unique powers in the form of i guess you could say like magic or superhuman strength for instance i really enjoy tony stark he was a smart guy and he designed the suit and yeah he had again i don't i am not a nerd when it comes to comic books but he has the thing for the heart what's it called steve um it, it's like an i don't know it's like a nuclear like reactor yeah, thing. I think. but that's more kind of science related to kind of for other things but then almost more sci-fi yeah yeah it's more sci-fi than anything and then the only really the the other one that i enjoyed a lot and mostly large largely due to christopher nolan's adaption of it is batman because even though i can't relate to him on a rich level it really made him a human with the struggles that he has uh that's actually one of my examples of a good story i'll i'll talk about a little bit more but i related to that a little bit more because he's human he doesn't have any magic powers he didn't get even though spider-man is definitely more relatable than other characters he didn't get bit by a spider and now can you know climb up walls you know he designed his gear he still gets hurt you see the bruises you see how tired he gets so those are ones um that i've always felt related to when it comes to superheroes um but yeah for for my list uh, i put the first thing and again, I'm kind of coming at it, I think, about writing as well. And it, I'm really focused on the fiction side of it. You were talking about fiction too. But I have uh, behaviors, reactions, and ambitions. So even going, um, it, it's the it's the simple, I guess, yeah, the simple behaviors of how people act and react. So if I'm reading a book, I can't think of anything off the top of my head as an example, but I, I have been reading a book uh, from one of my favorite authors. And I think it's, just because he's getting older, but the reading is a, the writing is a little bit uh, lacking. Uh, I find myself reading it and thinking, why would that character just randomly say that to the other one, or why would he react that way and instead of laughing at that joke? And so there's just there's quirks that come up. If you make a character, you really have to be that character you have to know how that character reacts and behaves um it kind of this goes into a little bit more of really you know writing up a character but for instance if you have a finance guy like myself and you're writing a fictional character about someone who's in finance or banking and he goes into a manufacturing shop he's not gonna notice 
all of the mechanical stuff going on and how the gears are working perfectly, he's going to think, wow, I wonder how much they have to pay their employees here and how much overhead is in all this. I wonder how much it costs to build just one of those toothpicks to get across the line. He's going to be thinking finance related. So if you have characters that just fall out of how their mind works and their element, um, it really can put you out of a story. And again, I'm kind of focusing on a book, a longer book where you really try, you know, it's a long haul to get into a character when you finally have a character that's established and they deviate from who they are even just a small amount it can really put you out of the realism for what that story is trying to tell um the second part of that is no one is all good i don't care too much for stories where the hero um has no faults and i think today you do see a lot of movies being made and books being written where they do show kind of the darker side of humanity, even for the main characters. Uh, even if sometimes if they're doing something good, it might not be for the good reasons. They might have a selfish reason for it. And even that is enough to show that they can be selfish-minded at times, just like we all can be. So I really look for that uh, when it comes to a good story, just believable, uh, relatable um, characters. Again, I brought. Up, I already kind of talked about my good example for that being uh, Batman, um, simply because of how. Uh, again, you can see when he gets hurt, when he gets beaten up, when he gets worn, and then it doesn't matter the money he has. Uh, you can picture in another, uh, um, you know, rich superhero thing where they might, you know, be uh, happy all the time with all the money and everything, but really he. Uh, just gets bogged down by the weight that he puts on his shoulders. Um, and so it's it's a lot more relatable than uh, than other ones. Uh, a bad example from this, it's a, <laughs> I think a story that does it very poorly and it bugs me every time I watch it. And I watch it a lot because Evie, uh, my daughter, has uh, watched it quite a bit, is in Toy Story 4. I do not like that movie at all. And one of the main reasons is because the characters, well, of the two, was... Uh, Buzz and Woody just do not behave like Buzz and Woody. So Buzz and all the other prior ones, he when he's trying to, for instance, in number three, when they're stuck in the daycare, he comes up with a plan on jumping out through the window and uh, you know creating a plan to find a way out. And in all the other ones, he's he's smart. He's trying to think of the next move and plan ahead. And then in the fourth one, he resorts to constantly pressing his button over and over to see what his conscience is going to tell him to do. And he acts like a moron. And then Woody, all through movies one through three, he says, it doesn't matter what you want. All that matters is what Andy wants and what the kid wants. And they stick together. And that was the theme through all first three. And then in the fourth one, he just thinks, eh, Bonnie doesn't need me anymore. I mean, doesn't want me anymore. I'm not happier. I'm not getting played with enough. So I'm just going to go run away and leave Buzz and everyone else. And it just... Wow, it it did not jive with me. Uh, the movie had some funny parts. It actually, it's it's not a horrible movie. You know, it had some good entertainment things in it. But at the end of it, I just felt it was a horrible conclusion to just the characters because they were not behaving like they were supposed to. That's a super astute observation. As you say that, I'm now thinking back on it and thinking, you know, I knew something wasn't right about it. It was <laughs> I do, bothering me. Uh, yeah, I watch it again. Every, it, I know it uh, It annoys my wife because every time now when Woody says something in the fourth movie along the lines of, um, you know, basically that I don't, you know, want to be, I don't need to be here anymore or just contrary to what it is, I always say, huh, that's weird because in the last movie he was saying no matter what, you have to stick with your kid. And it 
I am visibly angry whenever that movie comes on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, and maybe this is not even a, a good question, but to kind of riff on this a little bit, like, and, and maybe you don't have an answer, I don't know. Um, But there's obviously a place for character development, <laughs> right? I mean, dynamic, you know, I mean, people change. Um, But that, I mean, it seems kind of, abrupt maybe the answer is just that it should have been less abrupt is there is there a way they could have done that right in your opinion i mean if that if that's the going to be the kind of people that they turned out to be it, or is that is that ever acceptable in their case should they have just always been this way i don't know I'm, i might be asking the wrong question but like when when you know when and how was the character development acceptable yeah obviously and that's probably why i also get picky because for instance brandon sanderson books are like 1200 pages each so there's a lot of character development then where a character is totally different by the end of the book not totally different but quite a bit different but there's also a few hundred pages dedicated to just that one character and so granted yeah toy story 4 they want they have a beginning and ending and they got to show it within an hour and a half so i guess really what they could have done i really am not quite sure they probably would have had to make a longer movie which obviously wouldn't have fit well for the screen and for little kids um sure or have bo peep go back with woody and buzz um i think that would have been a a better ending yeah um well i had another question that that that, that rabbit trail kind of like perfectly leads into about <laughs> this but, um because you mentioned about like you know it's very similar to the point that i made right about the characters being relatable and it being believable and you were you were saying how like you know you appreciate when they show the dark side when they show that nobody's perfect nobody's all good exactly like you said um but yeah i mean i guess related to the buzz and woody question there like is there i wrote down um so in my notes so that i would remember to ask you this qualities redeemed question mark and i don't want to if this ruins any of your future stuff you tell me and we can talk about it then but like like are you do you also look for that badness in in if in a person in a character to be redeemed or i don't know um that is one of my points so i'll talk about it okay but um okay. that's cool. a good question and i do have a couple thoughts on it so very good i'm All glad right, you cool. brought it up is it my turn again it is your turn again I'm fantastic fantastic okay cool so uh my number two <clears throat> is is a resolution to all four classic problems um and i use the word classic but honestly i probably could have used the word human there um and the four problems are the villain the external problem the internal problem and the philosophical problem so in in storytelling and again how you might put this if you're a fiction guy versus if you're uh, a marketing guy like me would, would probably be a little bit different, but in in pretty much every scenario where you have a, especially a hero's journey sort of framework, you've got, there's always an external problem that somebody has. It can be a very simple, you know, whatever. I mean, if it, in real life, it could be, I need a coffee maker, right? But so if, if, if you're using the coffee maker as an example, well, we've had coffee makers for a very long time and we've we've had you know the ones you, you you know the one like your grandma or your dad always had where it just fills up the whole pot of coffee and whatever so you know why does your coffee maker look like a rocket ship 
Um, and my pop, you know, I mean, me, I'll talk about me. I have a Keurig. It's an old one, but it's still a Keurig. Why do I have a rocket ship? And, you know, granny had a coffee pot. Um, and if we were to look deeper into that, you know, we both had the same external needs. And that was, I needed to be able to make coffee in the morning. But there's a, another layer of problem. There's the internal problem. Okay. And the internal problem is what most people are really thinking. Okay. What, what, what these are the underlying motivations that most people, uh, sometimes people can vocalize them. Other times it's, it's way more in how they are acting. It, it's shown way more in their actions, um, and their internal thoughts than something that they would vocalize to others because they're often very insecure about it. So maybe somebody has a status issue. Well, so-and-so has the rocket ship coffee maker. So I need to have that one because if I just have a regular old coffee pot, it's not going to be as good. And it, it sounds silly to talk about, which is why most people don't talk about it, but it's the internal dialogue that's, that's, that's going on. And so in marketing, most of the time, one of the big triggers to pull to get people to buy is to solve not their external problem, but, but their internal problem. So they'll come to you looking for a solution to their external problem, but they'll buy from you if you solve their internal problem. Okay. So two, two more things. Um, in many cases, you have a third layer, which is a philosophical problem. And this is going to be your, your usually very broad, you know, good versus evil kind of considerations or, you know, I deserve to have, you know, uh, sometimes it's self-serving. I deserve to have this sort of scenario. Like maybe uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the, the philosophical, you know, problem in the coffee maker example that that's, that one's a little, a little harder, but. Well, there's be- either decaf or non-decaf. I'm pretty sure a lot of people would see that as good or evil. Well, that's a very solid point. You just answered it. Um, uh, I guess <laughs> if, if I had to try to answer it, I would say it has to do with the nature of sophistication. Well, I'm a sophisticated person and sophisticated people have sophisticated coffee pots or, or you know, whatever. Or I'm a, or I'm a you know, I'm a, I'm a nerd. And so nerds have to have really cool single-use coffee pots. We can't have uh, actual coffee, you know, whatever. I don't know what it is, but, you know, that that's a scenario. And then... The, the sort of final layer of that is the villain. So there, if you can, if, if the, a lot of times the problem is uh, personified as a villain. And if you can do that in marketing, it helps because it makes it more concrete. Um, it helps people to know and sort of understand what they're, what they're fighting. So what's a good example of the villain is if you've ever seen the, um, the newer Allstate commercials, um, where the character, his name is Mayhem. Okay. And so he's I'm always- gonna interject for just a second and a future yeah. podcast we're doing. That is yeah. one of my ideas for a uh <laughs> for is it really? a point I want to make. Yes. Okay, sweet. <laughs> so keep awesome. going, keep going. <laughs> Fantastic. So personally, I'm we're literally we're going through 24 right now. I'm a huge 24 fan. So I personally miss the Allstate commercials with the guy from 24 saying, You're in good hands. Uh, I personally <laughs> miss that. But uh, yeah, in the new Allstate commercials, you have this personified, you have the idea of, of mayhem or confusion or, or turbulence um, personified in this character whose name is Mayhem. 
um, in the Mucinex commercials, you have the actual little mucus guys, right? They, they have taken a problem that you deal with and, um, and personified it well. And there uh, are, of course, lots of other examples of that as well. Um, so uh, an example to kind of bridge the gap here in fiction would be Star Wars. Okay, so in so in Star Wars, there's obviously the villain is I, I guess you would say Vader. You might say the Empire um, in this scenario. I'm not sure which would be more accurate. Um, but the external problem is basically, well, the Empire needs to be defeated, right? Somebody's got to take out the Death Star. Um, the internal problem is Luke Skywalker has a internal battle he's fighting. He'd be you know, it's, it's almost kind of like a coming of age kind of thing, a confidence problem, a, a self-perception sort of thing. He doesn't know that he's, you know, man enough to handle the situation. And then the philosophical problem here is pretty, you know, black and white. I mean, it's it's good versus evil. Um, and so in a sales context, anytime you can defeat the villain and solve the external, internal, and philosophical problems in one fell swoop, you're good to go. And so in the Star Wars example, when Luke Skywalker blows up the Death Star, he solves all three problems at one time and defeats the villain. And so that's kind of like the ultimate um, just example that I can think of in fiction of the kind of thing that you're going for when you're trying to, to um, persuade people. And again, I come from that context of marketing. So, so yeah, when a, when a, when a story finds its resolution in a way that that um, resolves all four of those classic human problems that we all deal with, for me, that is just that's just the ultimate. So I think a story should uh, should have that sort of resolution to it, whether that the ending or whatever ends up being, you know, broad picture, positive or negative. I think that's less material to just whether or not it can solve some of these problems for who the characters are. It's funny that, um, so what you were talking about with the villain, the external problem, internal problem, the philosophical problem, all those are elements that I definitely see in fiction that are important to write about when you're writing in fiction. But this, the terminology used is I never use necessarily those words when talking about sure. um, items of that. So it's just interesting how your mind kind of works with the words that you use and, and mind yeah. describing that. Yeah, well, I so um, you know I mentioned um, that I I do want to eventually write fiction, so I've started reading a little bit about how to write fiction. Um, Which book? And I'm, huh? Have you been re reading a, a certain book? Yes, um, and now I haven't touched it in a little while. I'm through the main content, teaching parts of the book. To my defense, um, it's just going through examples of things uh, now. I still need to return to it and probably read it again. Uh, but it's a really good book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And um, it utilizes the Save the Cat framework that was developed in the early-ish 2000s for screenwriting. And um, it was ad adapted in 2018 to novel writing. And uh, the reason I brought this up is, is she did use similar language to what I just described with the internal, okay. external, and um, in that, which I was, which, I mean, two things. Number one, I saw, I thought, well, oh, you know, Cool. That that kind of helps give me a context. It helps bridge yeah. the gap. And also, and I can't like I wouldn't be able to pinpoint for you right now if you asked me like the differences between what I'm talking about and exactly what she said. Um, I probably need to read the book two or three more times to be able to 
you know, to, to really get, let that sink in. But, uh, um, what am I saying? Trying to say, I, but, but I guess there, I did see some different nuances, which is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to explore this podcast and why I want to explore fi fiction, right? Is because I want to learn even deeper about what the people who write fiction know about human behavior and those things so that I can apply them in my own way to marketing and frankly have an edge on my competition. So that's what's right. in it for me. So. I might be biased here thinking this and that maybe I'm just wrong, but I just thought that came to mind. But I think uh, it's probably the the opposite is true too. people who write fiction probably benefit from writing nonfiction for practice. But uh, I would think that a benefit for someone who's not really into fiction too much, but decides to try to write it or learn it um, could help a lot. I, I guess I could picture someone writing nonfiction, understanding the the true person or a true event and being able to write it. But to come up with your own characters and own and how they behave and trying to make all that up could really help you th see things in a different way to really think, oh, how would yeah. someone, not this particular person I wrote about in this nonfiction story or what's happening here, but this person that I made, how would a person like this or this specific person react in this situation or what decision would they make? Mm -hmm. Well, and so two interesting things about that is I, I'm interested in. I've got a couple of my couple of my favorite nonfiction authors are also fiction authors, and so nice. that real it really interests me to kind of um, see that dynamic. And then another thing that's interesting is, um, uh, which I, I'm currently in the in the middle of reading a book like this now is business parables. I, I don't know if you're familiar much with that genre. Um, um, there's a book called the the one minute manager. The updated version is called the new one minute manager. I read that a few months ago. I'm reading one right now called built to sell, which is, um, basically it's by John Warlow, I think. And the, the idea there is building a company that, um, gives you options. So not, you know, I mean the, the, the title, I bet, I bet the publisher decided on the title because it's, it's more, it's an intriguing title that would get yeah. you to purchase because you're initially thinking, oh, well, this is how to, to build and scale a company so that I can sell it one day. Uh, the goal of the author is a lot more modest than that. When you, <laughs> when you start reading the intro of the book, um, you know, he's talking about, um, well, really what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm asking you to do is to build with optionality in mind you know maybe right. one day you want to you want to be on a beach while your business is running by itself or maybe you do want to sell or whatever and i didn't realize until after i had bought the book and started reading it that it was this same genre of business parable and essentially what it is is it's a fictional story that is meant to teach you the lessons that you would get in a non-fiction book but instead of them just didactically telling you step one step two you know tip one tip two it's through this story and then like in, in, in the case of this book at the, like near the end of a chapter. So the, the mentor guy who is teaching this entrepreneur, how to build his business to sell, uh, his name is Ted. And so, um, after the, the chapter goes through with the lessons or whatever that were in it, he summarizes at the end and, but was saying like Ted's tip, number one, Ted, Ted's tip, number two, or whatever, however many right. tips were in that chapter <clears throat> so that you make the connection between the lesson and surprise, surprise, the story. And why? Why the, I mean, there's another author who's uh, Patrick Lencioni, I think is, no, is it him? Or it might be another one who often writes in business parables. And again, the idea is that are, stories are easier to remember 
than just straight up teaching. And so they utilize this sort of blend between fiction and nonfiction to uh, to make a point. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I want to. I kind of want to go down a rabbit trail for marketing and remembering stories, but that we'll save that for another time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Write it down so we don't forget. Yep. I will. Um, so uh, my second. I'm actually switching my points two and three just because it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, my second okay. point is uh, redemption. What you were asking me about before. Um, okay. So uh, I think redemption elements or redemption opportunities make a good story and the reason why i say that is because not everyone chooses to redeem their bad side or what they're going through um but there has to be opportunity for that um at least in my opinion and who knows my opinion might change once i you know i'm still formulating a lot of what i think about good writing and good reading and everything but my idea of redemption that should be present is for a character whether it's internally in their own mind a struggle that they're dealing with internally or an external plot that's coming against them um have that opportunity for them to realize oh here is one either a weakness that i'm dealing with or two an opposing strength that's harder for me that i don't know how to overcome yet and have them overcome that or the opportunity to overcome it if you have characters who start out with say a certain power or a certain strength or something that makes them good or above and beyond or above average and they stick through that through the whole book and oh here's a here's a little goblin that came up to me and fortunately i'm a strong barbarian and i killed that thing easily and then you go on there's nothing there but if you have a i'm keeping it very simplistic but if you have a strong warrior and all of a sudden a magical wizard comes up who can disintegrate his sword what are you going to do now you have to try to find a problem you have i mean a solution you have to maybe retreat and think how am i going to beat this wizard if he's just going to destroy me do i have to learn magic do i have i mean so there's a even though that's i guess you can say maybe it's not necessarily redemption but it's a process where there's something a struggle that's come up and they have to try to overcome it now internally is really kind of what i want to focus on for the internal redemption because again not everyone so I guess there's three points. One, the good characters who do end up redeeming over their troubles that they're dealing with. So <clears throat> one uh, example that I think of is Schindler's List. Um, obviously, uh, he didn't. Schindler didn't start out as a good character necessarily, um, but he did end up overcoming the situation that he was in and the internal struggles that he was dealing with and ended up doing what was good and what was right uh and that's kind of your classic redemption process where someone overcomes something that difficult and chooses to do what is right in the face of evil and what would be easy to to continue to go along with a uh, second example is a i guess a main character um yeah i guess you could say a main character who ultimately does not pass that redeeming test and one of the reasons why that really resonates is because think how many times in your life that you did not get past an issue that you were dealing with properly. Maybe you solved it years down the road, but something that really beat you down in life and you struggled with for a long time and you cannot get over it. And maybe, and obviously there's things out there that people cannot get over ever, whether it's their pride, whether it's a, some sort of temptation or some type of 
physical ailment that they just have given up on overcoming. So there's a lot of situations where even the good guy does not end up overcoming what happens to them. Or at thinking about fiction, they end up getting worse and worse throughout the story and then eventually becoming the bad person. Um, I don't know if you've seen this movie, so I won't get everything away, but a good example of that is in the prestige where the two main characters kind of start out on level playing field. And one of them, they're both kind of not the greatest people, but one of them really chooses to go down, I would say a darker path in the end than the other. And we need to add that to our movie night list because I've wanted to watch it, but I never have watched it. Okay. We definitely will. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's in my top five or 10. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. Yeah, it's good. And then another interesting one that uh, another example of redemption is, and it's, it's kind of different. I, I don't think this works in nonfiction. I, I guess I'd have to think of a lot of different stories to be able to say that very um, positively or surely. But one thing in fiction that's very intriguing is a story about someone who is bad or evil, fairly objectively bad or evil, but they find some sort of redemption in their life and you're on their side, even though they are bad or evil. Uh, an example of this is a joker and it's a weird thing because if you took exactly what happened in that movie and placed that guy in real life and real society and that story happened or at least somewhat happened we would want someone like that behind bars and we would not want anything to do with them we'd be discussing with what happened and wondering what the world's coming to but for some reason because that movie brings you to relate to that character and really gets you to understand what they're going through you kind of want that person to find their personal redemption and that kind of kind of going towards the nonfiction side of things a lot of times when we don't find something interesting about someone whether it's someone who doesn't talk very much or we don't find a connection with if you just listen to someone's story in life and they're willing to talk pretty much everyone has some sort of redemption story um that is very intriguing that you can learn something from or that you can be blown away with. I don't think you can meet very many people who are, you know, our age, uh, even younger, of course, but who are our age, who you talk to and say, yeah, my life has been easy. Nothing bad has happened. Typically, if you ask someone and if you get to know them, they'll say, yeah, here's a couple times in life where I really had things going against me and I got things got really bad in this way. And here's what happened. Typically, so that's what makes, for me, number two, a really good story because we see that in our personal lives and everyone's lives around us. Someone has some sort of redemption story. Usually that is internal, and that's the most satisfying to see that character growth. But then it can also be if someone really doesn't have too many problems in life, it could be an external thing. Hey, your your house burned down. Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to, I guess maybe redeem is the wrong word there, but how are you going to overcome that and get to the better side of things? Well, you know, not to wax totally theological here, but I mean, to be honest with you, I think this is the perfect example. Like, like this scenario is number one. Let me just acknowledge fantastic. The Joker, like fantastic example. Um, the, the ironic thing is this is actually the most nonfiction thing about reality because we're all Absolutely. The, the Joker. 
we're yeah. we're we're all the Joker. We are all again. I know I'm letting my you know my Christianity shine through here, but that's fine. I mean, we are all <clears throat> in need of redemption, right? Objectively speaking, we we are we are all in that sense bad. We are all the bad guy. We are all the guy who has done something wrong. And and we as we look at other people, this is this is why, according to like the Bible, you know, to to be. This is why Jesus was who he was, right? This, this, because Jesus was able to look at the thief on the cross and say, today, you'll be with me in paradise, right? Jesus knew what all thoughts and actions and whatever that particular person um, had done throughout his life or had thought throughout his life. But in that moment, what Jesus wanted for him and what Jesus wants for everybody more than more than whatever else you might think, depending on your Christian, you know, depending on your your raising. I mean, you might think that all God wants is to send people who, who don't love him to hell. Well, it's the exact opposite. God wants everybody. This, uh, this is in Second Peter. Um, God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth, to come to redemption right and and so it's just right that's the thing is 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 jesus is able to look at people and see people in that way despite their failings despite their shortcomings despite how bad they possibly are there is no one be, beyond the ability for salvation and so sorry I, I didn't mean to preach and like hijack your point and start preaching but like it's really interesting that that I, I do i think that is a great quality in stories and i think one of the reasons why that happens is because it's all us we're we're the joker well and and i agree with you and ultimately what it comes down to is that it, it might be the redemption part of things uh with character growth and everything is really the most naturally ingrained in us i i actually one thing that i forgot to mention is one of the worst examples well i guess it's a good example of a bad example is a movie called hostage as bruce willis in it. i don't know if you've ever heard of it i haven't watched it since i was 12 i only watched it once and it um i've only had a couple movies make me feel this way but i i finished watching it and it made me feel it it um, it, it just um devastatingly sad because of not just the, the the evil that was in it but there was no even the good characters they never showed overcoming um the bad that happened to them and none of the 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 good guys were just pure evil and it ended on an evil note where you felt that it was just it was just evil and wrong in it there was no redemption I guess you could say there's a redemption opportunity. One of the guys could have randomly said, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. But there were really no overcoming of that evil or a period where one of the guys, you know, really reflected on, hey, what am I doing? You know, I have this opportunity to turn away from this, do what's right. And even um, tragedies that we see that happen, whether it's in our own life or that we see on the news, even though there are some things that obviously people can't heal from, um, you know, on this earth, just because of some sadness that, you know, is in the wake of some tragedy. We think how much our spirits are lifted or we feel for other people um, when we see um, people hugging people going through something and crying with them. And just uh, the swarm of, of love that people get. And there's that redeeming feeling of, hey, we even no matter what horrible has happened, you know, we want to come over this on the other side and have it 
you know, be well again and be good again and make you feel good again. So it just, no matter what happens in our life, there's always that look for and that wanting to get to the other side of something bad and feel that, you know, kind of redemption feeling of, okay, we made it through and we're in the good now. Yeah. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. Everybody, you know, wants and deserves a chance to be saved from themselves. Right. I mean, and so that's just, we, I, we identify uh, with that for sure. Um, all right. I'm going to do my last one. Yeah, I'll try to, absolutely. I'll try to make it, make it quick. We're getting, Coming up yep. on an hour, pretty close here, but um, you know, y'all are good, so I'm I'm good. So um, the the last one for me is again, it's kind of funny how all of these are. <laughs> I promise I yeah. didn't cheat. Uh, <laughs> I promise I didn't cheat. Um, but honest to goodness, one of my very favorite um, things about any story is uh, believability. Now, I'm gonna address it, although I'm sure you might agree, but I'm gonna address it at the more macro level than you did. You you were very specific about different situations and characters. Uh, for me, I think one of the greatest examples of this is in Star Trek. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I've got my my Captain Picard is back there behind my head somewhere, and I got a nice. I've got an Enterprise diagram in front of me here. Love Star Trek. My favorite um, series is definitely the Next Generation. But if I'm being honest. Um, it's like the next generation doesn't score any believability points with me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's not very, it's really hard to see the bridge from here to there. Now, the exception to that is, you know, in, in that it's, it's really funny how much of our modern technology, it was almost like in a sense prophesied in Star Trek, you know, like a tricorder and, you know, these video meetings and things like that. I mean, you know, this stuff is normal now, but in, you know, 1990, it was like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> smoking. Yeah. Like, you're going to have a computer yeah. in your pocket? Like, give me a break. Uh, and uh, so, right? So, so there are those elements uh, to it that sort of bridge that gap a little bit. But the early 2000s, um, there was a series called Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and it, it detailed the early years of the, like literally the first years of the, uh, of Starfleet and the Enterprise's first mission under Captain Jonathan Archer and everything from the, from that, from the, uh, from the title scene, is that, is that what it's called? The title, the title sequence or whatever, when it, you know, when it, when it, when it, when it plays the. Uh, I'm totally losing it. You know, when it plays the song in the beginning, yeah, people's no. names yeah. are flashing. You know, that. Um, the opening credits is what I've always called it. The opening credits. That's what. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, in this case, I mean, number one, the song itself is is a fantastic song, um, but it it it's not. You know, whereas the other Star Treks are always a little bit more ethereal and mystical and space and whatever. Um, this one is just kind of like a rock song and, and it is, uh, the actual, those sequences in the, in the beginning, in the opening credits, um, it takes you through a very, because it's so, because at least 75 to 80% of it is grounded in actual reality of things that happen. It takes you through the Wright brothers and Kitty Hawk. And it kind of like it goes through these sequences of the first airplanes being built. And then the first, you know, the, ro the, 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 the rockets and then takes you through space shuttles. And then, so it, even the, even that opening, either the opening credits, 
build a bridge, a very practical bridge from legit where we have been in actual history, where we are now or where they were back in 2001, which is not much different from today, a little bit, but not much different in terms of space travel. And then the earliest, you know, sort of entry into Star Trek and it builds that bridge. And so Star Trek Enterprise just has this believability to it. And it's like, Okay, a good example of this is the Universal Translator. So in Star Trek lore, the Universal Translator is it's on the badge of the of Star Trek of Starfleet officers and it is this sort of unspoken assumed thing where you can where every alien perfectly speaks American English. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it's like, oh, that's interesting how they're at these weird planets and they all speak American English. Like, you know, <laughs> your, has your Western American mindset influenced you much? Uh, I think so. <laughs> and, um, um, but that is explained, okay, in the Enterprise series. And, 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 and not only is it explained, but that and even other things very similar to this you what you do in this series is you see them struggling to come up with this. For example, you see they bring on this on the 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 maiden voyage of the Enterprise. Um, Archer, the captain, is pleading with this person that he knows from his past, who is a language like she's just a linguistic genius. Basically, she speaks like like in the tens of languages, and they bring her along because they know that they don't have this technology built yet. And so they don't have any way to really communicate with these people. So they bring her along to help learn about communicating. And like through the series, she helps them build the universal translator. And it's like, it just, it's, it's, man, I'm making myself excited. I need to go back and watch it again. It, it wasn't the greatest entry in Star Trek. No. Did it ruin? Some people really didn't like it because in a sense, these other things were just like, sacred assumptions of the star trek universe that didn't need or warrant further explanation but for people like me i was all about it because i was like oh man like as much as i love and we've talked about this as much as i love actually like the concept of space travel and stuff like the fact that somebody built a bridge for me between the star trek that i really love <laughs> or the here and now that's huge. And so that's a little bit more macro level than necessarily individual character things. But the believability of that story, and this is also, I think, why Dune was so interesting to me. Um, the, yeah, Dune had those fantasy elements, but it, it's really a lot of sci-fi. And, um, you know, it, it's like the, the I lean towards the more realistic and believable sci-fi things than necessarily the fantasy Unless it's like hardcore fantasy. When I'm like in hardcore fantasy mode, like no, you know, this would just never, ever, ever under any circumstances happen kind of thing. Living in a fantasy world. Okay. That's one thing. Like, I feel like the Lord of the Rings is like that. The Lord of the Rings kind of transports you into a different version of the world. Whereas in Star Trek, you're kind of like still in this world. And so there's that, that incongruence. So, um, so yeah, that's that. The, this macro level believability, I think, is something very attractive to me in stories. Man, Steve, at the end of the podcast, we're out of time. You're uh, dropping all these fantasy things on me, and now I want to spend well, hey, an hour talking about that. We have the time limits, <laughs> as far as I am concerned. That is true. You know, we, I, we, we I will, 
Yeah, I will just say one thing about, um, and I'm pretty sure we'll do a whole episode more on fantasy and kind of the, uh, you know, writing fantasy and some of the, you know, rules for writing that. But for instance, in fantasy, even though Lord of the Rings doesn't have as outright a magic system or elements compared to a lot of other fantasy series, mostly uh, newer ones, they're still, even though things might seem like in a fantasy book, oh, anything is possible. So it's really not that interesting. That what makes a good book with fantasy with magic in it is to have a system with rules. That way there are things that can and cannot be done. Um that's a whole other topic. But yeah. Um my last point, I I decided to switch it to the end because it kind of goes hand in hand. But uh the at least for I guess it goes for everything. Um for directors, for movie directors, for writers, mostly for for writers because people spend so much time and investment on reading a book. A movie might be two to three hours long. A book might be 10 to 30 hours long, depending on how big it is, um, is payoff. Um, so Brandon Sanderson's books are are big, you know, 1,000 to 1,200 words. I'm, I'm in the third book right now for the Stormlight Archive series, and I'm about halfway through it. And it's it's phenomenal. It's great. There are some parts in there where I wouldn't say they're boring. Um, a lot of good character development happens, but sometimes there's large um, um, portions of the book where there's not a whole lot of big developments. It's mostly smaller character building. And I think, oh, that's neat. Oh, I didn't realize about that character or, ooh, that characters thinking that thought i wonder if that will come true or not um but nothing that's mind-blowing but i keep reading because i know at the end of this book brandon sanderson is going to blow me away because he does at the end of every single one of his books and that is huge if you can even if you don't blow someone away if you can write an ending to a book that makes the reader think wow that i am I'm glad that I finished that book because that was very satisfying. That is what keeps people coming back and buying your material over and over. So from a business perspective and as an entertainment perspective, having a good payoff at the end of a story is, I, I mean, it's necessary. It's it, you need to have it. Um, uh, a bad example I want to bring this up because it's actually one of my favorite movies, even though it does a lot of stuff wrong, is The Village. Have you ever seen The Village? I don't I have. I'm familiar, but I haven't seen it. So I actually really, I really like that movie. I like it because I, I think it's more of a um, good love story than it is a kind of sci-fi suspenseful story. But the payoff on that one is not the greatest. I end a part of it goes to it kind of made some promises to the people watching of they kind of thinking something was going to go one way and it's okay to surprise the audience but the way they surprised the audience um they they it was uh and my Shyamalan that made it, it just left a kind of sour taste in a lot of people's mouth a lot of people left that feeling disappointed so uh payoff is good um again for both business you want to keep your readers or your listeners or watchers coming back and then also for just entertaining and enjoying a good movie or story. You want to see that payoff at the end. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, um, racking my brain here, but I don't, I don't remember. 
I mean, it seems to be like payoff. It's a huge part of any successful story. I'm not sure that I remember a a marketing guru who talks about storytelling, specifically honing in on that. Now, Donald Miller does talk about the difference between your story ending in a success versus ending in a failure. And so when I'm evaluating a business and doing what's called a, a brand script with them to look through these things, you know, definitely we want to identify a successful conclusion and an unsuccessful conclusion. And usually the reason for identifying an unsuccessful conclusion is to is to twist the knife a little bit during the agitation phase of your of your of your marketing. And, you know, it's, it's it's kind of along the lines of something like, you know, well, you have you have some options. You could do nothing. It, you know, if you know if you do nothing, you know, it's like, well, you could take my option or you could do nothing. And it's like, well, if you do nothing, then you're just gonna be, you know, you're not gonna see any results, you're not gonna see any change. Things are always gonna be how they are, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So there's that. But I'm interested in the concept of payoff. Uh, I think I need to develop this a little bit, either for my own stuff or, or at least do some more research on it. Um, because it seems to me, especially like, like for some people, uh, take take uh, because a lot of the customers I work with are educational. You know, they're they're, they're course creators, they're membership people, and um, and whatever, right? So they are they are people who. In order for someone to see success with their program, the person actually has to be committed to the program. So it's really easy to sell them on the program itself because you can you can go through all these benefits of what life could like look like or whatever. But then there are some people who kind of, in a sense, let the ball drop and don't take that any further. And so I wonder, like, after you right after they purchase. Is there a way to capitalize on payoff then? And there, I think there is. I've seen people do this, but I think unintentionally. For example, if you were to sell, if you were to make an offer and sell an offer, and then whenever somebody bought, there was an extra bonus or two with the offer that they weren't expecting. And so you sort of give them a wow experience right there even during the purchase process, you know, to giving them things that they weren't expecting. That's a really practical way I could think about. Um, I don't want to say like implanting the idea of payoff before there really is one, but in a sense, that's kind of what you can do. So if it's going to take somebody 30 days or longer to see results after, you know, as a result of you coaching them or either them going through this course, I think psychologically in their mind, if you can create a a sense of payoff even before they have to start going through your program, um, then you can that that's a really interesting psychological thing that you could do. So again, I think of everything in terms of marketing because that's my yeah. worldview. Um, um, well, I have a, a two two points: one on the fictional side and one on the nonfiction, um, but they, they kind of relate is uh, for payoffs um, at the basic level. At least how how I'm thinking is a payoff is fulfilling on the promises that you give to your reader or who gotcha. you're selling to. So obviously there's surprise payouts like um, at the end of uh, one of Sanderson's books, uh, Words of Radiance, there was a one of the last scenes of the book. Um, I didn't think that I, I didn't know that I wanted that scene to happen until it happened. I see. Uh, and I then gotcha. it was very satisfying. But at the basic level, it's fulfilling promises. Uh, that you present to your reader throughout the book or gotcha. like marketing. Do you, have you ever heard of Brian Johnson, the founder of uh Colonel Cornell? He's no. it's basically, it's basically the opposite of Elon Musk's 
um, Neuralink. He does something outside of the head external. Um, oh. But anyway, he said that when he first started out um, marketing, I forget the exact story, but it was something to do with selling some type of credit card thing. It was in the mm-hmm. 90s or early thousands. I forget it specifically, but and no one would listen to him. So finally he said, fine, I'm going to come up with something. So what he would do is he'd go into these businesses and most people would turn away immediately, but he would go in and immediately pull out a hundred dollar bill, set it on the table and say, you give me, I don't think it was five minutes. I think it was two minutes. He said, give me two minutes of your time. And if I don't impress you or get you intrigued by what I have to tell you about what I want to, you know, sell you, then the hundred dollar bill is yours. And he said like oh, well over 90% of the time, he might have even said 100% of the time, people said, okay, I'll hear you. I'll listen to you for a couple of minutes. And he said, yeah, sometimes if they didn't you know, like it, he might give up a $100 bill, but it far the benefit far outweighed because they, they're looking for a payoff. Well, the payoff, one, they're guaranteed a $100 bill. So the payoff right. is worth anyway, or the mm-hmm. offer that he has is so good, it's going to pay off anyway. So no matter what, there is a guaranteed payoff for who you're marketing to there, no matter what. That's interesting. But anyway. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's 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 neat. I want to think um, about how to use that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so I think we're at the end of this one. I know that there is uh, a new thing that Steve and I wanted to do, and that's kind of give everyone, we're calling it our story of the week. Um, it can be pretty much anything, whether it's a story in the news, a story that happened to us in our lives, a, a podcast that we're listening to. It could be pretty much anything. There's no rules here. Um, so I, I'll go first. If uh, yeah, please let me too. Then you can wrap it up. So uh, this week, it, it's funny that even though we're telling stories from this week, people will be listening to this in the future. Be like, yeah, that happened so long ago. But this week, uh, Tom Brady announced his retirement from the NFL. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've thought about it a lot in my life. I'll, I'll try to make it quick. But so I'm a born in Maine. I'm a all New England fan for sports: the Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots, the Revolution, all that. And even though I have no association with those teams whatsoever, I don't know anyone who works for them. I don't play for them. I don't know anyone on the teams individually. I still root for them and they're my team. And mm-hmm. when it comes to Tom Brady, it's weird how I, I, I've never met the guy. You know, I don't really know him. I kind of know some things about him and kind of have a general sense of his personality and kind of the principles that he has in life. But I don't know the guy yet. I feel some weird, strong connection to this person who has been kind of a part of my life since he won his first Super Bowl when I was nine years old and i can remember nine years old sitting in the living room and winning the super bowl and my dad just being totally amazed because he had never seen the patriots win a super bowl before and so this guy that i i don't have a relationship with me has created so many memories and stories for me from the time i was eight nine years old up until even now and it it kind of makes me sad that it that's over but I always have these stories that I'm with it. So I'm still thinking about that more. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but just how people that are in life, but aren't really involved in your life can still make a big part of your life. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird sort of thing that happens. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, and, and the (coughs) proliferation of media or whatever actually like makes that more, 
normal in a sense. Mm-hmm. How many of us get caught up on, you know, the latest TikTok influencer <laughs> right. or, or a Twitter thread or whatever with these people. And it's like, or reality TV, right? Like you're, you're like, ah, oh, what a fucking idiot, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you'll never see this person in your life, but you think they're like, you're like calling them names and junk, right? Like, yep. um, it's just kind of interesting. Well, well, my is, um, it's just I was on uh, Facebook the other day, and it was uh, I think it was a TikTok video that had been shared to uh, Facebook. And I am right, so uh, obviously with no secret here at this point, I'm a Christian. I am unapologetically a pro-life as well. And I saw this um, this uh, this TikTok video. It was one of those deals where the video itself was kind of like silent except for just music, and the chick was like pointing to things on the screen and. It was, it was just, it was eye catching for me and somebody who I know had shared it. And so I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll watch this. And it was very story driven. It was, it was, it was sort of this fictional scenario. If I were just to narrate what was going on, it was sort of this fictional scenario where the woman um, got pregnant at like 17 years old and she went to the doctor and the doctor was, you know, playing the Nostradamus role and was basically like, before we do this, um, I don't know if I, what, if, if I said, but she went to the abortion, like she went to the abortion clinic. She was, she was pregnant at 17. She's considering having an abortion and she goes and the doctor is like, would you like to see what you're giving up? And she clicks the yes button, you know, on the screen or whatever. And the like the whole like in pictures the life of her son growing up plays and it turns out he he becomes this athlete and he then joins the military and and the 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 idea the payoff if you will of the scenario is this is a person and unfortunately the way that this debate and people talk about it and, and and i'm you know, being into apologetics and, and rational argumentation and stuff is a lot of us sometimes we think about it in terms of an argument to be one. But the point that was made in this video is when when this person who those who are not on the pro-life side argue is not even a person, when this person is born and has the opportunity to go through life, they could be somebody, right? And so you really just kind of identify with like they are a person, right? And it's like it, it really drew that connection there. And I'm not, you know, again, this is a agnostic podcast in the sense of you don't have to be uh, any of these whatever views, you know, in order to listen to this podcast. As far as I'm concerned, we're all friends here. Um, but I, I do think that it is, I do think that every mother who goes in for an abortion or whatever should be given the, um, I don't know if if forced is the right word or at least the, uh, they should at the very minimum be be given the opportunity. In my opinion, I should be mandatory, but they should at least be given the opportunity to hear the heartbeat, see the baby, you know, with an ultrasound or or whatever to the extent possible um, to get an idea of what it is that, that they would be missing. And so that is the, uh, again, it's not about being political or about winning an argument or about whatever. For me, it's about the, if we really are, if we really cherish life, like like every one of us would say, if we all cherish life, then we should um, give every opportunity for life to survive and thrive 
on this planet. And uh, and that includes our precious unborn babies who don't have a voice, don't get to speak out, and who would all become something some someday be, because they are a human being. And in my opinion, they're made in the image of God. Um, so that that's kind of my story of the week. I thought that was really, really impactful. Uh, my story for next week won't be quite as heavy. I already have an idea of what it's going to be. Uh, so it won't be quite as heavy. But... Um, but yeah, so Alex, it's been great, man. This has been an awesome conversation. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, so, absolutely. I think it's our longest one to to date, but it was a, a good discussion. On, well, I'm um, yeah, you know, stories. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I, you know, if people want to turn us off, they can. I'm, I'm kind of of the or one of the speeds. Yeah, I'm not in the. Uh, I'm not in the. You know, I mean, some most of my other podcasts are in like the nine, ten, fifteen minute range, um, and uh, wow. I'm, I'm not, I'm not really into the. You know, three hour range. I'm not like the biggest Joe Rogan fan because I don't have that kind of attention span. But an hour or two, an hour and a half to to really flesh out a subject, I'm cool with that. So I hope others are yeah. as well. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. See Very you next awesome, time. man. See you next time.